right now we have so many problems in the church that we cannot afford to be spending time on evangelism. We need to focus on fixing the problems that already exist within the church itself. Hi friends, this is Caleb Succo and you are listening to the Now is the Time podcast. And in this episode of the podcast, I want to talk with you about that first sentence that I just said. That is something that I have heard a few times in my life that I've heard from several pastors that this is not the time to focus on evangelism. We need to put that aside for now and focus on discipleship. We just need to work on helping those members that we have in the church to become strong in the faith. You know what, though? I think that is a greatly flawed approach to the church. And I'm going to share with you why I think that as well as another great mistake that we make when it comes to the idea of evangelism and discipleship in the church. Good morning, friends. I don't know if it's morning when you are listening to this, but it is morning here. I just got to church. It's Friday morning. I wanted to jump on the podcast and share with you some of these ideas about evangelism and discipleship. This was something that I talked about last week, actually, to a group of of pastors, church leaders, and their wives from eastern Ukraine. I shared about that a little bit on a video update that I did last week. If you didn't catch it, you can find it on our YouTube channel. But I'll share with you briefly a little bit of an update about uh, those ministry opportunities that we have. And then we'll get into the content for this podcast episode on evangelism and discipleship or evangelism or discipleship, however you want to put it. But yeah, last week I did have this wonderful opportunity. I was invited by this group of churches called, let's see, it's called um, uh, Svetivanglia. Is that right? Yeah, Svetivanglia, which is Light of the Gospel. I like their name. It's a small group, about 20 churches, and about half of those churches are in the separatist-controlled areas of Ukraine. But they brought them out for this uh, retreat that they had in eastern Ukraine. They invited me to come and and speak. We we do what we can to try and help these churches, to encourage these churches. And just briefly, why is it difficult for them currently, uh, for those who are in the separatist-controlled areas? I talked with a number of the pastors there, and the separatist-controlled areas are really heavily influenced by Russia. And as you may or may not know, things are getting more and more difficult for evangelical churches in Russia and just in general, religious freedoms. I think it was last year, <clears throat> I think it was last year or may, maybe it was the year before that they kicked out all the Jehovah's Witnesses from Russia and uh, there are a lot of a lot more limits on religious freedoms in Russia than there is in Ukraine. Uh, we're quite free, but that's different in the separatist-controlled areas because they are pretty much influenced by Russia, and because they are at war and because they are kind of uncontrolled or by the the rest of the world, 
I think that actually the situation in those little republics, Donetsk, Lugansk, and eastern Ukraine, are probably even more difficult for believers than than in Russia itself. And so one of the things that they have done recently is they have said every church has to register with the government. But they've made registration very, very difficult, well, impossible for some churches, especially small churches. And so, for instance, you have to have, I think, um, 30 people to register, 30 people that are uh, have... Here is a system where you register where you live and you have an official registration with the government for where you live and that's how you that's how you that's how you do everything kind of pretty much that's how you can get work that's how you can pay for your utilities and and that's how you can get your pension all kinds of things like that so you have to have like 30 people uh, registered that live near the church in order to register your church and then you have to have i think something like another 50 people that go to the church and then you have to have, you have to submit your doctrinal statement the doctrinal statement has to be checked by the government officials and you have to have your own building and it has to be in the name of the church and no one is allowed to live in that building and anyway there's a lot of regulations and so i know that the churches that i talked to that are there they said we we've we filed the papers to register but they told us that the soonest they would get back to us is in like October or something. So they have to wait like seven, eight months for that registration to go through. And in the meantime, the the companies that provide electricity and water and heat, they're saying, hey, we don't know who we're supposed to be providing this for. We can't because uh, you have to have a official like contract with the with the the company that provides heat or the that provides water well there's there's no official church so who do we have the contract with we're going to shut off your utilities so anyway they use a lot of methods like that to really put pressure on these churches and uh there is propaganda that goes around saying that these churches are exist only to to um, weaken the the government there and to destroy the the new governments that they've set up which of course is is very untrue but it all makes it very difficult for these churches to continue on and and to openly uh, share the gospel uh, to open to freely worship and as i mentioned before some of these churches have lost their buildings as a result and they are forced to meet in separate homes and apartments and things like that. So your prayers are, are definitely appreciated for our brothers and sisters in eastern Ukraine, especially in the separate zones air, zone there, or areas. And uh, I was just really privileged to be able to go there and have an opportunity to minister to those dear brothers and sisters. And I'll tell you, we, we spent uh, the uh, last evening I was there, they took the guys the guys we all went to the uh to the banya the sauna and what an experience that always is i've done that a number of times with with church leaders here and you have to understand that the the banya is a place for discussion for building relationships and for talking about important things and so we got in that sauna they cranked it up to like i think it was 115 celsius which is something like I don't know, like 100, no, 235 degrees Fahrenheit. It was it was pretty hot. But we, we sat in there and we talked about, the discussion question was, why is it that 
some people go grow cold to the to the God's word after they've been saved for a couple of years. And and what a what an important and good discussion that was. We're really focused on on the spiritual aspects as we sat there and cooked ourselves in the sauna and then went out and cooled down a little bit and had some tea. But what a wonderful time of of fellowship with those those dear brothers in the Lord. Uh, What else is going on with the ministry here? Uh, Today, actually, Christina is involved in training at uh, the Women's Center here in Odessa that was started by our by our teammate Holly Friesen and uh, Miriam Wheeler also is involved with that uh, significantly. And the Women's Center is focused primarily on giving pregnancy care to mothers, uh, especially those who might be thinking about abortion. So it's a pro-life ministry. And with our kids in a school this year, this gives Christine a little more opportunity to be able to be involved in more ministries. And so as a mother of five and a grandmother of one i think she's well experienced as a mother and she is really excited about being a being able to volunteer at the women's center and use that as an opportunity not only to save the lives of unborn children and teach about the god who has created those children but also to share the gospel and so that's a that's a great opportunity we'll be sharing more with you about that coming up. Um, also ask that you just continue to pray for our church. Uh, we are, <clears throat> God continues to open doors uh, for sharing the gospel here. And one of the problems that we ran into is actually our church is getting a bit full. We don't have a, a very large facility. And so trying to think about what we can do about that. We, uh, we are thinking about maybe going to two services but we're also thinking about Easter coming up, and I just know we had Christmas. We had well over 100 people, and it was way, way, way too packed. I mean, it was just, it was very uncomfortable. And so we're thinking of trying to find a facility to rent for Easter. But just praise God that just continue to see opportunities for the gospel, especially with our outreach to foreign students, uh, but need so, so much wisdom in that, so much wisdom in order to know uh, what to say, how to say it, and, and boldness and courage in sharing the gospel. So appreciate your prayers and all those things, dear friends. All right, guys, let's get on to what I want to talk about today, and that is kind of this question, really. Uh, is there a time in the church when we need to put evangelism aside and just focus on discipleship, focus on strengthening the members that we have because of their poor spiritual state. And I I said at the beginning a sentence, something that I've heard before that goes something like this. I've heard uh, pastors, in fact, say, oh, you know, there's different periods in the life of a church. And now is just the time when we need to focus on strengthening the people that we have instead of going out and sharing the gospel with unbelievers. Yeah, believe it or not, I've heard statement like that. But I think that that is deeply a mistaken approach to the church and to the gospel. In fact, I wrote an article about that not too long ago called, there's something called 10 Negative Effects When the Church Stops Sharing the Gospel. Uh, but there's a, another approach that I think is equally detrimental to the church, and that is an approach where everything, absolutely everything in the church is done for only one purpose, and that is to get new people in the door and to give them the gospel. And 
yes, evangelism is vitally important for the church. But again, we can go to extremes on, on either side. And unfortunately, when we go to that extreme, what happens is it often leads to a lack of discipleship. And then that also does great harm to the church. And you end up with a lot of new people coming in and a lot of people going out at the same time because they don't stay for very long because there's no there's no solid food that is given to them so that they can grow deep in their faith. They don't develop those deep roots in the soil of the gospel. And so I look at those as both being uh, wrong approaches to the ideas of discipleship or evangelism and discipleship. And I think that really there's two mistakes that we make in our thinking about evangelism and discipleship that I want to talk to you about right now that lead to these two wrong extremes. But my my thesis, I guess, here is, and, and I'll get into this later as, as I talk, is that evangelism and discipleship are much more closely connected in the New Testament than we often think of them, than how we often think of them. And I'll talk with you a little bit more about that uh, a little bit later. But there are two mistakes, uh, as I said, that I think often lead to one or two of these extremes and well, actually, that's that's the first mistake that I see. We've artificially separated evangelism and discipleship. And I understand that there are when when we study theology, for instance, there are times when we we separate theologies. Like for instance, we have a theology of Christ, Christology, and then there's the theology of salvation, soteriology. So we separate those. We study them. But you know, that's, that's just for ease of, of study and, and some logical approach to things. But in reality, you, you look at Christ and you look at salvation and you say, you can't separate these things in, in reality. There's, there is no separation from them. And I think similar things happen in evangelism and discipleship. We sort of separated them in our theology, separated them in our mind, and begin to separate them in our practice, which we should not do. And I think that we, we often fail to see how evangelism and discipleship is woven together into, into one thing. It, it, is, it is the fabric that really makes up the, the, the teaching of the church. And it's like, you think of fabric, you know, you have a shirt that is, you know, let's say it's, it's made up of a mix of materials. Yeah, you could take all the threads apart put the nylon in, in one pile and put the cotton in one pile. But then it would not be useful to you. It'd be You could study it maybe more easily, but it would not be useful to you. And so also with evangelism and discipleship, when we separate them, what happens is they, be, they become not as useful to us and to the church. So let's look at a couple of texts from the Bible and, and just try to understand how evangelism and discipleship is connected in God's word. And I think the place to start here is with the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Okay, 
This is kind of like the pinnacle of what Jesus said to his disciples before his ascension. This is his final instructions. This is what he wants them to be doing. And what I've noticed is very often we use the Great Commission and we associate it far more often in in our preaching and our teaching with evangelism than with discipleship. I'm not exactly sure why that is. But if you just simply look at what Jesus said, he says, make disciples. Actually, Jesus doesn't separate these things at all here. And we understand that in order to make disciples, we need to preach the gospel first. We need to baptize them. And and so Jesus does have the idea of baptizing in here. Obviously, the idea of the initial preaching of the gospel is there. But Jesus really, if anything, he emphasizes discipleship as the main thing that we need to be engaged in here because he says make disciples and he says teaching them those two words there are really the center the emphasis of these two verses Matthew 8, 28 19 and 20 in fact the Greek in Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, the only verb there really is uh, make disciples not go. Go is not really even a command. It's really going. Make disciples. While you are going, make disciples. Baptize. It assumes the going. It doesn't assume the disciple part. That is the command. And so, uh, in fact, Jesus uses um, actually two words here. Uh, one is mathetesete. That's in verse 19. And then in verse 20, he uses the word didaskontes. I'm poorly just brutalizing the Greek language here. I think Russian has messed with my tongue. But but mathetesite is really the idea of uh, not simply teaching, but actually um, teaching by example through relationship and uh, producing uh, a, a person, a, a new a person who is a follower, a disciple, okay? And that's why in English it's a disciple. Um, didas kontes, that's actually the Greek uh, form here, I think it's a participle, is, uh, emphasizes more just the, the teaching aspect, the actual teaching, like uh, didactic, I think is where we, we get that root uh, from. Didactic means you know, teaching, doctrine, for instance, teaching. And, and so you have both the idea of uh, producing someone who is a follower, who has um, produced a, a, a copy of the life of Christ in them, and also teaching them the doctrine that they need. And so I guess you know the point that I'm that I'm making here with this one is that Jesus, when when he gives his final instructions to the disciples, he doesn't he doesn't separate cleanly evangelism the work of evangelist and the work of a disciple maker and i think he did that on the purpose i think that he didn't want the disciples running around giving like short two-minute gospel presentations and then when people agreed to it they would say oh yeah okay great you're saved and on to the next person his his focus for them was that they would be in the business of making disciples which involves laying a, a good and solid foundation of the gospel and then building on that foundation through through discipleship, through through teaching of the core doctrines of Scripture and how they work out into our lives. So G- Jesus, I think that 
he assumes that there is this initial giving of the gospel and a faith response which leads to salvation, but that is not the end of the process. That is the beginning of the process that Jesus wanted his disciples engaged in. And here on now we can look also at an example that is kind of from the other side of things. Uh, for instance, Second Timothy four five, Paul says something interesting to Timothy. He says, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of, of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Now, what's interesting about that, this is also the word used in, I believe it's Ephesians 4.11, where it says that um, some are, um, what does it say, uh, prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. But anyway... Uh, Paul tells Timothy to do the work of evangelists. Go and look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. and we'll Just look at 2 Timothy and 1 Timothy, and you'll find that these are pastoral letters. Jesus or Paul is writing to Timothy to tell him how to be a pastor, and especially in this context where Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 or 4, verse 2, he says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Obviously, he's talking about pastoral ministry here. And then he says, do the work of an evangelist. Friends, I don't think this is separate from his pastoral ministry. He's not saying we need to preach the word in the church and also, by the way, go out and be an evangelist. No, he, he sees this all as, as one whole. Do the work of evangelist. Part of the the and really an integral part of a pastoral ministry is also doing the work of an evangelist. So we can look at this from two sides. One is that when Jesus gave his instructions, he really focused on really more on discipleship and making disciples. But yet Jesus it says even uh, okay, if you look at Mark, uh, the beginning of, of Mark, uh, the first gospel, it says that when Jesus came, he came preaching the gospel of the kingdom. So Jesus preached the gospel. Matthew says something very similar, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, that Jesus uh, came uh, preaching uh, that they should uh, repent and that the kingdom of God has come. Uh, in Luke, Jesus reads, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus comes and the first thing he does in his ministry is he reads from the scroll of Isaiah and he says, I have come. You know, the, this is the prophecy from Isaiah. And it says that the, the Lord's, the um, Spirit of the Lord is on me to preach the gospel to uh, to the poor. And so so Jesus himself saw that his role was, was preaching the gospel, yet at the end he says, make disciples. And then on the flip side of it, here's Timothy, whose role is a pastor, and yet Paul tells him, do the work of an evangelist. Okay, I'm just, just trying to show you how there are, if you look specifically how Scripture uses things like uh, evangelism, the gospel, and discipleship, teaching, and disciple-making, that they are often a lot more connected than maybe we would think of them. And friends, here's here's the way that I like to think of it. Really, the gospel isn't like some sort of a, a door that we just pass through and then we move on to other things. 
The gospel is really the soil in which we grow spiritually. And so that initial preaching of the gospel provides the the new believer who puts his faith in Jesus Christ after hearing the gospel provides him with that soil but then as as discipleship happens it's not that we say oh yeah i know the gospel and beyond that now let's go on to other things no we we stay there in that soil of the gospel we stay there and we continue to deepen our roots in teachings about Jesus work on the cross sacrifice the horrid nature of our own sin god's holiness the uh, character and nature of jesus christ the nature of grace the miracle of forgiveness the miracle of justification by faith new life in Christ. Okay, these are all, you could say, basic gospel truths, but friends, these are the truths in which we grow in our faith through discipleship. And so we must not separate these things too much. And and the other mistake that I often see is that we have a limited scope of the gospel. We have... We have narrowed the gospel down to just a few statements, to just a few phrases or a a very short prayer that someone can repeat or something like that. Now, I don't want to dismiss the idea that in its essence, the gospel is quite a, a simple thing that can be grasped by even a child. And that is true, dear friends, but it, it is a simple thing, yet it is also a rich and deep thing. Think about how Paul talks about it in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, where he says, I want you to, well, actually before that, he just gives this long sentence about the glories of the gospel and how God saved us. And he says, I want you to, the eyes of your heart to be open to see the inheritance that God has given you and the riches of his calling, his glorious power in Christ through the resurrection. And he prays for them later in Ephesians that they would know the width and the height and the depth of the love of God. So we must never limit the gospel to just being mere repetition of some gospel statements. Yeah, we can have an understanding, a very basic understanding in a few short statements. But let's not just limit it to that. It is something greater. It is something deeper. And I, I truly believe that we're going to spend eternity marveling at the gospel. And so I think that one of the reasons that we've, we've seen such a separation, too, in evangelism and discipleship is because of the way that we have limited the scope of the gospel to just think that this is just a ticket into heaven or some magical saying that gets us on good terms with God. It's not. It is miraculous, and it is life-changing, and it is deep and rich and wide. And when we lose that concept, then we lose 
really the very kind of soul and, and flame of the gospel that so often that I think that even in our discussion in Eastern Ukraine with these church leaders we talked about, those who grow cold to the gospel, I think it's because they, they forget that the gospel, it continues to be that integral part of our Christian life all the way until death, however long we may live here. So those are the two, I guess, big mistakes that I see. Uh, One, that we've artificially separated the evangelism and discipleship. Here's the way I look at it. Evangelism is, is the initial stages of discipleship. And discipleship is a continuation of evangelism. What do I mean by that? In discipleship, we don't move away from those basic truths of the gospel. No, we deepen in them. And we must deepen in them. Otherwise, we we are so prone to all kinds of strange doctrine, to falling into sin, to losing our love and and desire for God's word and to have a relationship with God. So I hope that that is helpful for you to just the idea that that we should not separate these these two ideas of evangelism and discipleship. I'll probably talk with you about this more in the next episode of the podcast. I have a lot more that uh, that I actually have prepared and talked with the pastors in Eastern Ukraine from this past week. But I think that is enough for now because I do want to share with you a book, friends. I know that I had started doing this last year, but let's let's talk about what to read and let's talk about what I have been reading. Okay, friends, so the book of the episode here is called The Work of the pastor by William Still. I just, I don't even remember how I happened upon this really gem of a book, uh, especially for pastors. And I'm sorry, I know you're not all pastors who are listening to this, but I, I started reading through it in this William Still, I believe he's a Scottish pastor and he pastored for about 50 years. And this comes from some of his lectures that he, he gave to other pastors. And, and what a richness and depth that you can feel in a, a person like this who has labored in the church, who has poured their life out for the sheep and done everything possible to ensure their spiritual well-being. And what was interesting is as I, I was reading through this book, he actually emphasized some of these same ideas that I had been coming to the conclusion of as I studied the Gospels and studied Acts about the separation between or the connection between evangelism and discipleship. And so let me read to you a couple of quotes from this book. Here's what he says. There is no clear distinction in Acts between what may be called Paul's evangelistic ministry and his teaching ministry. In both, we find him expounding scriptures and writing new scriptures. When his hearers were mainly unconverted, we might call the ministry evangelistic or kergamatic, that is, in Lystria and Athens and at Cornelius' home. And when mainly Christian, we might call the ministry didactic, 
but there is a wide range between these situations, and some of Paul's evangelism involves major pieces of Old Testament exposition. Did you catch that? Not such a clear distinction between evangelistic ministry and teaching ministry. When you look at the book of Acts, and you look at um, how Paul preached the gospel to to different groups. Um, and actually, here I'll read another quote here because it's interesting. I I came across this idea of, uh, too also in Second Timothy two uh, two four and five about how Paul says uh, to Timothy, preach the gospel, do the work of the ministry. Uh, even before I, I uh, came across this book, but actually. Um, he also brings out the idea, um, William Still brings out the idea here that, that I came across. He um, says, um, taking up the question of the relationship between kerygma and didacti. Okay, so kerygma is like, like um, more, uh, I guess, strictly you know, preaching of the gospel. And didache, which is preaching of, of doctrine or, or teaching ministry, okay? So the relationship between preaching of the gospel and preaching of doctrine, uh, noting that Locke in the International Critical Commentary renders 2 Timothy 4 or 5, do the work of one who has a gospel to preach. That's how he translates 2 Timothy 2 5. Uh, maintains that the emphasis upon is upon evangelion, the gospel, rather than on euangelist, the evangelist. He goes on. Okay, now this is, this is where the important part comes in. Whether this be a true interpretation or not, it does not serve to underline the fact that it is misleading to identify preaching the gospel with preaching an evangelistic message. All the evidence of the New Testament goes to show that the apostles' evangelism was a teaching evangelism. All the characteristic messages in Acts have the kerygma at their heart. That's the evangelistic aspect of it. But it was doctrinal preaching all the time based on the scriptures, expounding and interpreting them. Paul, as his manner was, reasoned or argued with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging. That's Acts 17, 2 and 3. It follows, therefore, that the church's evangelism ought to be one in which all the counsel of God is made known to men. We need a recovery of belief in the converting and sanctifying power of the living word of God to the, in the teaching of the pulpit and its ability to transform the lives of men and produce in them the liniments and fruits of mature Christian character. Okay, sorry, I know I, I read quite a bit there, but the essence of what he's saying here is let's not limit our gospel preaching to just a few facts of scripture, but let's give them the whole counsel of God. We need to expound God's word and that people come to faith when they begin to hear God's word expounded in, in its wider sense, not just a few gospel verses picked here and there out of, out of the book of John. One more little quote here. He says later, But too many today pin their faith for fruitful evangelism on harping forever on a few gospel facts, isolated from the broad and full context of the whole Bible. 
Okay, there it is. That kind of sums it up. Maybe I should have just read that instead of reading, reading as much as I did. But I, I just, I really liked where he was going with this. And, and he goes on, he talks about pastoral ministry, he talks about the importance of, of the pulpit and the preaching ministry, he talks about the importance of being able to counsel individuals and, and work with them individually as well. But he, he really comes back again and again to the, the importance of preaching God's word, preaching the whole counsel of God. And, and how that is really the uh, that is, is really you know the, the focus that the true pastors ought to have and that that word of God has to change them first so anyway guys great book uh, William still was it called the work of the pastor I highly recommend it all right friends that is it for this episode of now's the time I hope you enjoyed it uh, if you have an opportunity you can check it out on sucofamily.org where I have some other articles, quite a few other articles as well. I want to let you know that I will be in Los Angeles, California from March March 4th, I think, through the 11th. I'll be speaking in Hemet, California on March 10th. It's just kind of a quick trip. I'm going to be visiting the Shepherds Conference down there, but if you happen to be in the area, would love to see you. All right, friends, that is it for now. Blessings to you.